I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. As you know, on this podcast, instead of looking at movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies, we look at bad movies, we look at movies that we loved, and we look at movies that we hated. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about a lot of linearly structured movies driven by the actions of a single protagonist. So today, we're going to talk about a movie with a completely different kind of structure, a nonlinear structure. Um, and that movie is The Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. Often as writers, we get so hung up on linear narrative structure that we make forget that there are these other forms of structure that are also moving and also powerful. So what makes Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life so extraordinary is the way it effortlessly weaves what would be considered traditional linear storytelling, the story of the family, with long meditative sequences, these breathtaking images of beauty and destruction. But don't let Terrence Malick fool you. Because underneath this melodic rambling, the tree of life has a really solid structure, which provides the drumbeat for the film. And in fact, if you compare the tree of life to some of Terrence Malick's less successful work, for example, to The Wonder, you see what happens when you have these beautiful images without that structure underneath them. Despite all its jumping back in time, its shifting perspectives, its God's eye view of the universe, its whispering voiceover, its dinosaur sequences, its meditative imagery, which kind of washes over us like ocean waves. At the structural level, the Tree of Life is simply following the story of Sean Penn's character, Jack, as he searches both the past and the present for the answer to an unanswerable question. Why should I be good if you're not? On the spiritual level, Jack is asking this question of God as he tries to reconcile the vastness, the wonder, the beauty of the universe with the senseless death of his brother and the problem of a world where death is always present, even in the most idyllic memories of his early childhood. And on the physical level, Jack is asking the same question of his father, his loving but abusive father, played by Brad Pitt, whose often misguided love protects Jack and is also slowly destroying him. As young Jack's adoration for his father and the desire to be good starts to devolve into disappointment and hatred towards his father, he's forced not only to reconcile the two sides of his father's nature, but also the two sides of his own. He has to wrestle with the profound and unanswerable question how to be good in a world where the love of both God and of his father seem to shift inexplicably from beauty to violence. A lot of times as writers, we think our job is to tell the audience what to think or what to feel, to get up on our soapbox and talk about what we believe. But oftentimes, the best movies actually come from questions. And they don't come from questions that we know the answer to. They come from questions that are too big to answer, questions that we don't know the answer to. And those movies are powerful because when we tap into those questions, we tap into the questions that truly nobody has the answer to, that everybody is wrestling with. And in this way, even if you're writing an art film, you can start to raise a question 
that speaks at a visceral level to any audience. What's also wonderful about building a movie around a question that you don't know the answer to is that it forces you to search for a deeper understanding of the world, which is really what writing is all about. And that's not limited to experimental films like The Tree of Life. Woody Allen's comedy Midnight in Paris is built around the question, would my life have been better if I lived in a different era? Inside Out is built around a profound question. Why do we have to feel sadness? Nightcrawler is built around a profound question. What does the business of the news do to us as people? Think about any successful movie and you will probably find that there is a profound question at the center of it. And often that is a question that neither the audience nor the writer can fully answer. So The Tree of Life and Jack's journey in The Tree of Life is built around the question, why should I be good? if you're not. You have a main character who is asking this question of himself, struggling in a world where both God and Father can act in such contradictory ways. And Jack is trying to answer this question for himself. Is he going to build his life in their image or in another? Now, structurally, this question is raised in both threads of this story, in both the present story and the past story, with two different inciting incidents, both involving the death of a child. There's a mistake that we often make when we think about structures that we think that a movie has one inciting incident, but the truth of the matter is movies have threads, different threads of the character's journey, just like you have different threads of your journey. You may have a thread that follows your journey at work, at home, in your relationship, with your family, with your art, with your writing. And these different threads, although they weave together, oftentimes have different inciting incidents. Now, no one could forget the moment early in the Tree of Life when Jack's mother receives the letter telling her the news of her son's death. If we think about this in a traditional screenplay structure, that moment provides the inciting incident for the whole film. What Malik does that is so interesting is that his inciting incident doesn't just rip a hole in the family's universe. It actually rips a hole in the universe of the film itself. We slip at this moment from a character-driven drama into an epic sea of juxtaposing images, dinosaurs, birth, the Big Bang cosmology, something so big that it at once seems to dwarf and also to echo the problem of the family. That question of how can the world possess such beauty and such violence at the same time? How can a woman whose only philosophy is love everyone and everything be punished in this way? Where is God? In creating the structure of a screenplay, it's important to think about the moment that incites the film as a whole, that moment that opens the door to change, that introduces the central question of the film and locks the audience into the journey of the movie. And whether you're writing an art film like The Tree of Life or a Hollywood blockbuster, it's vital that you get this moment on the screen as quickly as possible to create that feeling that your movie is moving and to create the lens through which the audience can interpret the events of your story. When you're building a movie that jumps around in time, you actually have two different layers of the structure. And I call these layers primary structure and secondary structure. The primary structure is the linear structure of the main character's journey. The movie as the main character experiences it. And the secondary structure is the way that information is revealed to the audience. For the audience, the journey begins 
when Jack's mother receives the letter of her son's death. But for the main character, Jack, the journey begins much earlier, when a boy dies right in the middle of a perfect day at the local swimming hole. And young Jack is forced to confront the fact that neither life nor God is what he thought it was. Young Jack whispers his dismay to God at that moment. Where were you? You let a boy die. You'll let anything happen. For Jack, as for his mother and father, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil leads to a fall from the Eden of his childhood. So we have two inciting incidents for two different levels of structure. We have the inciting incident for Jack when a boy dies at the swimming hole, and we have the inciting incident for mom and for the structure of the movie for the audience of the death of Jack's brother. And these two moments of unexpected death provide the two inciting incidents that get the structure of the Tree of Life moving forward, propelling both threads of the Tree of Life's narrative structure, even as the film seems to meander through image after image. The first thread is the fall from Eden, the story of young Jack's fall from an idyllic childhood where death was present but not perceived, to his gradual disillusionment with God, with his father, with his mother, and with himself, leading up to the moment where his brother dies and all hope of Eden is lost. And the second thread is the return to Eden, the story of grown Jack, Sean Penn's character, of Jack's surrender, through which he finally comes to terms with the death of his brother, the opposing philosophies of his parents, the beauty and ugliness of the universe, and the inexplicable nature of God. For the audience, these two threads are chopped up and juxtaposed against one another in a way that transcends time, but more importantly, a way that captures the emotional feeling of Jack's experience, that kind of cycling between past and present and imagination and dream that we all feel. But on the primary structure level, these two threads actually comprise a single linear journey for the main character, as he first loses and then seeks to return to Eden. Every movie needs a drumbeat, a clear structure that lets us know where we are and helps us imagine the road ahead so that we can hope for, be disappointed by, or pleasantly surprised by the turns the story takes. And this is doubly true when you're building around a structure as complex as that of the Tree of Life. Commercial movies tend to have more of a rock and roll drumbeat, while the Tree of Life is more like experimental jazz leaving the beat behind for extended sequences of improvisation, and then returning to that beat to get the story flowing again. We first see this jazz-like improvisation in an extended way with the epic montage of Big Bang images early in the film. But just when it seems like we're going to drift into some kind of endless meditation, we find the beat again with a much smaller Big Bang, Jack's birth, and the idyllic memories of his childhood childhood filled with beautiful moments where death is present but Jack is not aware of it. Each of these moments foreshadows the road ahead, preparing us for the inciting incident in Jack's journey when the boy dies at the swimming hole and the question of the film arises and his fall from Eden begins. The Tree of Life is obviously a film about ideas, about characters grappling with profound questions and even narrating those questions aloud in a voiceover soundtrack that punctuates the piece almost as if the audience were listening through God's ears. It's not a traditional Hollywood movie. It's a piece of poetry on the screen. But for all its poetry, The Tree of Life is also a film. And as a character in that film, Jack can't simply ask the question with his words. He's got to grapple with them through action. For the writer, this means that Terrence Malick must take 
the profound ideas he wants to explore and bring them into active conflict through the characters in the film, the actions they take, the choices they make, and Jack's journey in relation to those choices. The structure through which Malick gives shape to this journey is called a Hegelian dialectic. Now, who was Hegel? Hegel was not a screenwriter. Hegel was an 18th century German philosopher. However, our craft and many of the best movies ever written owes him a debt of gratitude. Hegel believed that if you took a thesis, something you believed in strongly, and forced it to do battle with an equally powerful and irreconcilable antithesis, a belief that runs counter to that thesis, you'd end up with a synthesis which would somehow bring unity to these opposing elements to the thesis and the antithesis, and in this way lead you not to the truth, but one step closer to the truth, a new thesis that you could then challenge. In dialectical screenplay structure, thesis and antithesis stop being just philosophical ideas and start to take on human form. Our characters come to take on these belief systems. They come to represent them. Our character becomes the thesis. Our character becomes the antithesis. And as those belief systems come into conflict through our character's actions, these characters are forced to change. They're forced to find a synthesis that transcends their original belief system and leads them closer to the truth in relation to the question of the film, question with which you are wrestling as a writer. In some Hollywood movies, the thesis and antithesis is just boiled down to good versus evil, the good protagonist versus the evil antagonist. But while good and evil may be the oldest Hegelian dialectic out there, in the best movies, protagonist and antagonist transcend good and evil and come to represent real ideas, powerful ideas, with which we are wrestling. Just like great philosophers, great writers don't stack the deck for one side of their argument. No matter what you believe in a writer, to make the most out of a dialectical structure, you've got to step into the worldview not only of your protagonist, but also the antagonist crashing their ideas against each other as if both were true, and peeling back the layers of their true and their false assumptions as you search for a synthesis that somehow reconciles their irreconcilable differences. And this isn't just true for art films. In The Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader represents the dark side of the Force and Luke Skywalker represents the light side. But their dialectic isn't just about good and evil, because Luke doesn't know that Darth Vader is his father and he doesn't realize that he also has the dark side in him. In the synthesis, good does defeat evil, but at a cost that changes Luke forever and costs him both his hand and his black and white view of the world. In The Big Lebowski, the dude represents the non-violent, happy hippie thesis. The dude abides. And John Goodman represents the antithesis of this idea. This will not stand mentality and the structure of the movie, John Goodman tempts the dude away from his values of the dude abides and into a war for his Persian carpet. And there will be blood, the thesis of capitalism in the character of Daniel and the antithesis of church in the character of Eli do battle literally to the death, forcing both thesis and antithesis to come to grips with their failures and hypocrisies and driving to a synthesis in which church is left dead in the bowling alley and capitalism has drunk its own milkshake, has destroyed everything that he has built. In the Tree of Life, the dialectic is built between nature, represented by Jack's father, and grace, represented by his mother. 
When you're using a Hegelian dialectic to structure your screenplay, you've got to remember that the characters are more than just the idea that they represent. They're also people, complete with all the complexities, contradictions, competing motivations that have nothing to do with your dialectical structure. In The Big Lebowski, the dude may represent the hippie thesis, but he's also a character who loves white Russians and bowling and spends most of his time pursuing one of these things. In There Will Be Blood, Daniel may represent capitalism, but he's also a character desperate for a family connection and someone he can confide in. Even Darth Vader loves his son and secretly wants to overthrow the Emperor and rule the galaxy with him. So rather than fixating on the structural role that your character plays in your Hegelian dialectic, you can think about this, the ideas your characters represent as a kind of North Star, something to navigate by as you construct their choices. So it's important to understand how a North Star works, because if you're trying to navigate your way through a forest and spend every moment staring up at the beautiful sky, you're going to spend most of your time crashing into trees. But if you keep your eyes on the instinctual path of your character and allow yourself to remember that the North Star is there to guide you when you need it, that dialectical idea will help you discover the most profound structure possible for your main character's journey. What makes both the father and the mother function so well as characters in the Tree of Life is that in addition to representing dialectical opposites of grace and nature, they also are both parents. They both love their children more than anything in the world and want to protect them from suffering. The problem is that they have two opposing views of how to do this. And in good old Hegelian fashion, neither of their views actually work in the universe. The father, played by Brad Pitt, believes that the nature of the world is violent and destructive, and he's right. And that's why he wants to make his sons tough, so that other people don't walk all over them, so that they can express themselves as artists, control their own destinies, and not have to compromise the way that he did. We've seen this type of character before in movies like Billy Elliot, The Return, and A Prophet. In fact, there's even an archetypal name for him, The Terrible Father. But Brad Pitt's character is much more than just an archetype or an intellectual thesis, and that's what makes us care about him, and that's what keeps him from being a cliché. Unlike the other terrible fathers we've seen in the past, who want to quell the artistic expression of their children, Brad Pitt's character only wants to foster it. He loves his children, he hugs his children, he's loyal to his wife, he makes sacrifices for his family. His tough nature is the North Star by which he navigates, but it's not his sole reason for existence. The problem with the father's thesis is that it doesn't ultimately protect him or his family or his children. Rather than earning him his son's love, his lessons in nature only destroy the beauty of his family and the beauty of Jack. His lessons in nature only turn his sons against him, tear apart his marriage, pit brother against brother. For all his toughness, he can't protect his patents from the courts, he can't protect himself from a lost job or his children from suffering. And his rage at his failures only manifests in more violence against the people he most loves. In dialectical opposition to the beliefs of the father, the mother inherently believes that the world is beautiful, and she's right too. That's why she wants to play happily with her sons at every moment, love everyone and everything. That's why she infuses their life with joy and bliss and their genuine love for one another. But her grace ultimately doesn't protect anyone either, because she can't stand up to her husband or defend her children from his violence. As young Jack accuses her in a moment of rage, she lets her husband walk all over her and all over them. 
Her love cannot protect her children from suffering or death, and for that failure, rather than earning her love from Jack, it earns her his anger. And of course, this dialectic also exists within Jack, as he wrestles with these dueling parts of himself. The thesis of his father, of nature, and the antithesis of his mother with grace. And it's through his wrestling with both sides of this dialectic that we experience his journey in relation to his mother, his father, his community, his God, and most importantly, his brother. Jack's journey is a revolutionary one. The first phase takes him away from the grace of his mother and towards the violent nature of his father, a nature that Jack pushes even further than his father would dream. By letting go of love almost entirely and succumbing to hatred, jealousy, and betrayal in their rawest forms, he rages against the mother who loves him, contemplates killing his father while he works under the car, and betrays the trust of his adoring brother when he shoots him with the BB gun. That's the first phase of his journey. And the second phase of his journey takes him back towards his mother's grace. As he makes peace with his brother, tries to once again be deserving of his brother's trust and love. But just as nature failed to protect him, so too does grace. Despite Jack's love, his brother is taken from him leaving him completely alone in the world, isolated from his family, his work, and from God. Eden is lost, and to find his way back, Jack must somehow find a new synthesis that reconciles the dialectical opposites of grace and nature, mother and father, in his world and in himself. This is what it means to truly wrestle with a question, to push both sides of a dialectic to their extremes of success and failure, and expose how they both work and don't work in the universe. But Malik pushes this dialectic to a cosmic level, which transcends time, space, and even character relationships. In almost every image of the film, he captures the omnipresence of death within beauty and beauty within death, nature within grace and grace within nature. In the bigger picture, his opposing styles of storytelling form an even bigger Hegelian dialectic. A dialectic between, on one hand, the vastness of the earth, time, universe, and God that he captures in these meditative sequences. And on the other, this small family drama of earthly realities that seem so important in the family story and so small when juxtaposed with the scope of the universe. And in this way, the film itself builds towards a profound synthesis, which doesn't try to answer the question, but instead to surrender to it. And in that surrender, to finally find catharsis. Like such movies as Memento and 500 Days of Summer, The Tree of Life tells its story in a nonlinear way, not to impress the audience, but to capture the essence of its main character's journey, the way that journey feels for the main character. Rather than unfolding linearly, the story unfolds dialectically, stepping into the swirl of memories in Jack's mind and juxtaposing elements of grace and nature from his past and present. But underneath all this chaos is a strong linear journey. And in fact, it's that character-driven dialectic hidden underneath all these flash-forwards, flashbacks, meditative sequences, spinning in fields that allows the film to jump around in time so effectively. Just as in To the Wonder, Malik's more recent movie, we can see what happens when you have a bunch of spinning around in fields without that structure underneath it. Once you've created a strong linear journey for your character, you can slice it up, flash it back, take it out of order, or toss it like a salad.
You can play around like an experimental jazz artist, departing from the beat and then finding it again. Or if you're doing a big Hollywood movie, you can just tell your story linearly in the order that those events happen. Either way, no matter how you serve it up, if you do it right, your audience is going to delight in putting together the pieces and figuring out how they're connected. But if you start tossing things up before you know the real structure of your film, you're likely to be left with the kind of cooking that nobody wants to eat. And so this is what I want you to think about as you try to apply the lessons of the Tree of Life to your own writing. What is the question that you're wrestling with that drove you to want to write this movie in the first place? It might be the kind of question that drove Amy Schumer to write Trainwreck. The question of, why am I still single? It might be a political question, like how did the hippie generation become a fan of the Iraq war that drove the Coen brothers to write The Big Lebowski? Or it might be a question about grace and nature and how to be good in a world where it seems like God is not that drove Terrence Malick to write The Tree of Life. No matter what your question, you want to allow the different sides of that argument to be a north star for the characters in your movie. Not taking sides or waiting the argument, but instead allowing each character to pursue their philosophies to the extreme and ultimately forcing your main character to make a choice in relation to these opposing dialectical ideas. A choice that might bring him or might bring her just one step closer to their own catharsis. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you want to learn more about the structure of the Tree of Life, please check out my Tree of Life video seminar, writeyourscreenplay.com slash treeoflife. And if you'd like to study with me in New York City, online, or our ProTrack one-on-one mentorship program, please check out my website, writeyourscreenplay.com.